Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. One of the things about this book, and I'm going to give you just some, some, some historical and cultural context. Why this book? Well, this book was written to believers in churches because they were they have been exposed to and the temptation was great that Paul felt the writer that they would some of them would succumb to this teaching <clears throat> that number 1 was trying to undermine the supremacy and the deity of Christ um although um the the whole thought and school of gnosticism um, would come later. This is believed to have been the beginning of what would become full-blown Gnosticism, and it's this 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 whole thought <clears throat> of increasing your knowledge will cause you yourself to bring yourself to a to a higher spiritual plane, and what it was creating was this spiritual elitism. That if you gain this knowledge, you'll be better than the rest. Only those who can gain this knowledge, and they were starting to dabble into, as you see in the book, um, um, angel worship, which they believed of realms in which if you keep, you know, um, um, rising through different realms, you eventually get to the top of knowledge where God is. And if you if you can see through this, it is the elevating of man and the demoting of God in his Christ. And although it may not look like this today, when we have teaching that wants to elevate your work and what you do above that which Christ has done, you are falling into that same temptation. Paul thought it was so serious that he wrote a letter to a church he had not visited. As a matter of fact, the church in Colossae um, lie in the Lycus Valley, which what was called of Asia Minor. There were a couple of other cities that are well known that lie in that. And that was one Laodicea. We hear about them later in the book of Revelation and a city called Hierapolis. And both of these other cities, and Colossae included, had experienced extreme wealth because they were known for the fabric that they were creating. And some of the most expensive and some of the, um, and some of the finest garments were being created in this area, and because of their seaport city or close to its status, they were shipping this stuff all over the world, and they became extremely wealthy. And one of the things that that ended up doing, and boy, I'm going to mess with someone's theology real quick, that level of wealth and influence without keeping their focus on Christ started eroding at the faith and the faithfulness of believers to the point what did we get in the book of revelation when the apostle john was sending out the message to the seven churches and all those seven churches were in asia minor and many of them right around this city of 
Colossae, what was his message to them? I wish that you were hot or cold. You're neither. You're lukewarm. And I'm ready to spit you out of my mouth. They had become so comfortable due to not being able to handle their extreme wealth and influence that it was eroding their faith and their walk in Christ. Let me just add, make a note. Be careful when people are elevating wealth. Again, I'm not elevating poverty either. But be careful when all you elevate is wealth. When all. I'm not saying that God is not blessing you, and, and you know what? It is the Lord who gives you the ability. It is him. Because if he's not giving you the ability to work, to invest, to save, to know where to put things, to earn, you aren't getting anything. So when we start thinking it's all on us, remember, God has given the ability, but when that quest and pursuit becomes the ultimate in your life, you are losing your way. God blesses us so that we can enjoy life, but also so that we can bless others, but most of all, so that we can honor him in it. And when your pursuit of wealth and gain, and when when your growing in material success begins to distract you from living for Christ, you need to reevaluate what's happening. Because the ultimate in life is not for you to be a millionaire by the time you're 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. I'm giving everybody a chance here. It's not. The ultimate in your life is to honor God with wherever he has you, however he situates you, whatever he gives you, that you are to honor and represent him regardless. Some of us, he'll give a lot to, and and that responsibility is there for us to represent him with that lot. Uh, But also remember the warning of Timothy when he says, to tell those who are rich in this world not to trust in their wealth. And that's the danger. When you and I gain extreme wealth, boy, we start thinking, I don't need anything. And that's what happened in this. You had extreme wealth, and it was starting to erode. It was starting to get at. Now, the other side is true as well. When there's extreme poverty, you start to be so discouraged and disheartened that you start to do some things that dishonor God as well. And so the case for them is the Colossians were tempted and there was some elite and they believed to be Jewish elite that, that, that they were into this asceticism, which, boy, it sounds like a fancy word, but all it is is that you bring yourself under extreme discipline just for that discipline's sake because you think that discipline now elevates you spiritually. Not that it causes you to lean into Christ, but that because I've buffeted my body because I'm not doing this, because I'm refraining from this, because I only do this, now I'm spiritual. No, it just means you're disciplined. That's all it means but you could be just as ungodly as you can be. But they were thinking that the very act itself was making them spiritual instead of what the act leads them to, which is a further life in Christ. Remember, you come in the church, it's not for you to check off a list and to say to God, I was there. It is for you and I to go, what is God showing me, teaching me, 
exposing me to when I come together with the believers that causes my life to change when I leave this place. And if you come Sunday after Sunday, if you sit in on Bible studies Thursday after Thursday and there's no change in your life, I have to ask you, are you just checking off something off of a list or are you actually coming to learn to grow? Knowledge by itself without a love for Christ puffs up. Corinthians tells us that. Knowledge itself for the sake of knowledge. I know a lot. And how many of you have been around know-it-alls? Some of the most annoying people to be around. Why? Because you can't tell them nothing and they need to learn a lot. And so the antidote to this false teaching that elevates man and puts him in control of his rescue and his own spiritual ascent is understanding the supremacy of Christ. Or as we would say, a good Christology, a good study and understanding of who Christ is, is the antidote to that false teaching. When man wants to elevate him or herself, the best medicine is to show them who they really are and to elevate Christ. See, before Christ was revealed on the scene, before Jesus came, had a man who had experienced, who had needed to have perspective shown to him because he had lost it because of his extreme suffering. Some of you know who I'm talking about, our buddy Job. And that God called him righteous in the beginning. He was a righteous man. As a matter of fact, he was bragged on by God to Satan. I always like to say God started it because he's the one that highlighted and pinpointed Job. And then, of course, Satan said, nah, that's just because you got this hedge around him because you're protecting him. Take that away and find out what happens. And then, of course, we read the story of the sufferings of Job, and it wore him down. Not that he turned away from God. He never did, but he started to question the goodness and the wisdom of God. He started to question it. And then because he began to call God out, he said, I've been living righteously. Some of us will do that. We've been living righteously for about a week, and then we want to call the Lord out. You know, what you doing, Father? You know, I've been living for you, you know. And so as he begins to call out the Father, God, he doesn't thumb him down. He gives him, as I've said to you, God, um, to you before, he gives him perspective. Job needed to know and see God more clearly. And so that's where we get that chapter where he says, where were you when? When he told him, stand up like a man since you wanted to approach me. In other words, God was like, man up, Job. It's time to answer some questions. And God began to ask him about where was he since he's questioning him when he was doing all these things. Was God thumbing him down in the ground? No, God was giving him perspective. You don't know me. And that's obvious because of the way that you are responding or not responding to me. And as we get into Colossians and we look at this, at, at this what we'll see is how well do you know him? Because you wouldn't buy into a philosophy. You wouldn't buy into a teaching that demotes Jesus Christ and elevates yourself if you understood the supremacy of Christ. You wouldn't. And so as we go through this, we're going to look at, at, at how we are living out of and under 
the supremacy of Christ, what it looks like, and what God may be having you change in your life as a result. And I know we're going to be tempted, like many of us are, to see where someone else needs to change. We're going to be like, whoa, that was for you, man. We're going to see it. We're going to nudge the person beside us or turn around and look at the person behind us or stare at the person in front of us hoping they turn around. Y'all know how we are. But it's for you first. And if God leads you to someone else, it's because he is doing it in you first. And so understand that. Two people that we know were from Colossae. One was whom a companion letter was sent to, along with the letter to the Colossians, and that was Philemon. Philemon was a resident of Colossae and a well-known one. And the other one was the one who is believed to have evangelized the area, because remember, Paul did not. And he never went to Colossae and never met them. But he met one person who did, and he called him faithful repeatedly, and that was Epaphras. Epaphras was a resident of Colossae, and is believed he was the one that began to share Christ and watch it grow. Sometimes you don't have to tap... You don't have to have the title to be effective. You don't have to be widely known to be effective. You just need to be faithful. And so as we begin to look at this, do you notice that the Holy Spirit by name is never mentioned once in here. That he, he synonymous, um, synonymously equates the work of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, they still are distinct as persons in the Trinity. But put it this way, as one um, commentator actually put it, the Spirit conveys what Christ bestows. What Christ has given, the Holy Spirit conveys it to us. What Christ has done, the Spirit supports and gives. But you'll see here that It is just the work of Christ because what was their issue? They were wanting to demote Christ. And so he is elevating Christ to where he is and bringing their attention there. And so understand that it is written to highlight and reinforce the supremacy of Christ over and above all things. So that is our introduction as we walk through And today, we're just going to deal with the first two verses and greeting. And you'll say, how do you preach a greeting um, when you take the greeting as seriously as it was meant to have? How many of us understand many times when we use greetings that they're just kind of bypass words? You know how we do. Hey, how you doing? You're not really asking how they're doing. If they started to unpack that, you'd be like, whoa, I didn't ask for all that. Yeah, you did because you said, how am I doing? Or other greetings. Hey, what's up? You don't want to know what's up. That's a greeting. And many times we treat greetings like that in Scripture. We know that there are standard greetings and salutations um, throughout letters that were written back in that time, and this was one of those 
salutations, but it is meant to set the tone. It is meant for us to understand what's going on. And I realize not that um, not that fire from heaven will call down and zap me because I didn't pray, but I want to lead us in prayer before we jump into chapter 1, verse 1. You guys will let that be known as one of the longest introductions that I will do. It will probably be longer than the opening of the text itself because we needed to set the context. Amen? And understand that the context will help you understand what's going on. Father, I thank you. You are God alone. You are supreme. And so is your Christ. We are here today because Christ is supreme. Oh, he has tried, and folks have tried to remove him from his throne and have failed. They have tried to demote him and failed. They have tried to marginalize, marginalize him and have failed. And Father, it is because he is truly supreme. And I pray this morning that as we begin to look at it and into it, that we would see as you have intended and respond as you desire, that we would grow from it and that Christ would be supreme in our lives because he is supreme and we would reap the benefits of it. We ask you this and thank you in Christ's name, amen. And so in this greeting, I'm just gonna read it, First two verses, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ, in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, again, let's not treat that just like a standard greeting, and we kind of move on, which is what we typically do. Get into the book. Oh, okay. This also tells you, because this was kind of the standard greeting that Paul used. It's one of those indicators that he is the author. But I'm going to look at some su supremacy issues even in this greeting. I'm, I'm going to look at the supremacy of Christ in calling his people, that the supremacy of Christ causes faithful followers, and that the supremacy of Christ brings grace and, pre and, brings grace and peace. Supremacy of Christ in calling Supremacy of Christ causes faithful followers, and the supremacy of Christ brings, brings grace and peace. So the first one, all right, Paul starts off, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Paul understood and, 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 and was comfortable in and worked out of his apostolic authority. What was that? The word apostle just means messenger. It was a messenger, but it was a specific kind of messenger. An apostle back in the time was a messenger that was commissioned and sent by the risen Christ himself, which means you had to hear and or see him, hear from and see him. And so we had the 11. They had 12 minus one, Judas. They had 11 who were commissioned by Christ himself. Go into all the world. He commissioned them. 
And then there was one brought along later who was fighting Christ. And on that road to Damascus, Paul meets him. And he says to him, why do you persecute me? And he knew exactly who he was talking to. Why? Because he said, he said, who are you, Lord? See, the issue is Paul had seen the risen Christ and was commissioned by him and thus can act in that apostolic authority. I'm going to tell you, too, that that source was they were those who, when they spoke, they spoke as speaking directly from God. And your scripture here either came from them, New Testament, or came commissioned by them. Book of Mark. It is strongly believed that the book of Mark was written under Peter's dictation. Once again, apostolic authority. And so what we see here is Paul is speaking and writing on the very authority of God himself. I have to ask you a question. Where does the authority that you listen to and live under lie? Where does it lie? Who are you listening to on an authority level? Where are you getting your life information from? Is it social media? Better be careful. We all know everything that's out there is not correct. As a matter of fact, a lot of things that are out there have not even been source checked. We like it and we take it. Who is the authority over your life? Who gets your ear? Who gets your heart? See, here Paul is speaking as an apostle. He is speaking as a messenger sent by Christ. And he tells him, I'm speaking, representing what God once said through Christ. We have today, boy, there is this new apostolic movement. It's not new at all. Man elevating himself above God, and be careful who you're around that likes to call himself apostles. I'm not stepping on anyone's toes if you know someone who does. And they may not mean it in the biblical sense, but if you're using that term, you need to be backing it up with Scripture. You need to be backing it up with Scripture. Just because I got a lot of people following me or I've got a lot of resources, or I've got a big edifice and a big church doesn't make me an apostle. Doesn't. And y'all better check me if one day somehow I lose my mind. That's the only way that's going to happen. And I start referring to myself as apostle. It was like, so when did you step back in time, pastor, and get commissioned by Christ? You're only 59 years old, bro. See, the issue becomes, who is our authority and where does it lie? What is it? Settle that today. The authority better first be, when it relates to life in God through Christ, better be Scripture that's been given and closed and settled. God's revelation, full? No. All that he wanted revealed? Yes. You and I can't handle the full revelation of God. You know that line in the movie, you can't 
There you go. You can't handle the fullness of God. You can't. I can't. But we can handle what he dishes out, what he reveals, what he wants seen. We can handle it. And so where are you getting your revelation from? And so the supremacy of Christ in calling, true apostle, apostolic authority. Notice he didn't call Timothy an apostle, and Timothy was a permanent partner of his, which is why he's mentioning him here. Timothy had been brought up. He said, Paul, an apostle, and Timothy. There you go. When you walk in the room, if one person is doctor and the other is not, you don't want them both saying, hi, hi we are doctors. No, you are doctor. They're following the doctor. You don't want someone who's an attorney and someone who's not walking in the room, Rick, and going, we are attorneys, and he'll turn around, I'm an attorney, don't know about them. See, the issue is Paul even does it here. I'm speaking with apostolic authority, and I brought my buddy here. I brought the one that I'm mentoring here with me, Timothy. And I love how Paul always had a partner. Be careful of Lone Ranger Ministries that never bring anyone up and along, that can never develop anyone. It's always about them and them only. Be careful. Because if indeed you are truly being sent by God, the example has always been someone is serving with you, alongside you, has either developed you, or you are developing, sign of a true leader, who is around them. Who are they listening to? Whose authority are they under? And who are they bringing up? And so this supremacy of Christ and calling, it is by the will of God. Paul didn't decide he was going to do this one day, that I want it. There are some in my ranks who are there because they know that it is profitable and they know that it is filled with status although that status is waning in our society. And so thus you may notice that the numbers are waning of the, those that are wanting to jump in on this because the prophet is going as well. He says he's an apostle by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. And I love that. He sets the tone and he also sets the tone in their eyes for Timothy as a leader because that will be important later as Timothy starts to rise into leadership into the church at Ephesus later on after Paul, and he continues on. So now they're letting him see he is a leader who I have set up and ordained. Who are you investing in? Second one in that calling. Timothy wasn't a, was, a, was a permanent partner, and Paul was pouring into him. Can I ask you, who are you pouring into? Oh, you don't need to be an apostle to pour into someone. You know that, right? Who are you pouring into? Who are you training, elevating that can, be, that can begin to stand up in your presence and in your absence? Who is getting the benefit of who you are and how you have grown in the faith? Who? The supremacy of Christ in calling one, the supremacy of Christ causes faithful followers. Number two, look at who he writes to. 
to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. He makes a decision. I mean, he makes a distinction between saints and faithful brothers. And that brothers mean brothers and sisters, brethren. So saints, we know that means holy ones. And I like that because positionally, that's who they are. Positionally, that's who you are. If you are in Christ, even on your, on your worst day, even on a day when you feel like the biggest heathen, when you feel like you've messed up royally, when you feel like, why would God love me, saint? And that should humble you, that God would even dare call me or you a holy one. Sometimes we go, I don't think you've seen who I am, Christ. Uh, Father, I don't know that you've seen. Uh, he says, I see you through Christ. And if you are in Christ and God sees you through Christ, guess who you are? Saints. Holy ones. Some people turn and it's like, him a saint? Man, that had to be a work of God. Of course it is. How won't you think that I'm going to be a saint if it's not the work of God? Unless I'm elevating myself. I want us to remember that as we go through this, he is speaking to saints. He is speaking to holy ones. That is the, that is the call. That is the outlook. I love it. The, the, the title is telling us what God expects from us. Even when we mess up, he says, get back with it. What is that? Holy one. When you make your decisions in life, holy one. When you go to entertain yourself, holy one. When you go to make financial decisions, holy one. When you're in your relationships, holy one. See, God is speaking how we should be living. And we think that means perfection. No, that is a goal set before us. And boy, when we trip and we stumble, it's still the goal. When we are feeling like we are supermen and women and we are accomplishing life, we're reminded it's still the goal. Holy ones, to the saints, and I love this, faithful brothers. Not only are you holy ones, but these were people that were faithful. Can I tell you, God, what God has called us to become more than anything else, he calls us to be faithful. I had this said once in the men's ministry when we were over in Europe, and it stuck with me ever since. His brother got up to speak at a men's breakfast and said, God has not called us to be successful. He has called us to be faithful. First, I was like, wait a minute. I just I thought it through and looked at it. And, I, and I was like, he's right. See, success comes as a result of, in God's economy, as a result of obedience to Christ, because it may not even look like you are successful, but if you are obedient, you are successful. And so whether it looks or it grows or it gains or it doesn't, do you know Christ was seen as a failure? Remind you, he had 12 followers. One of them betrayed him. Everyone else ran. He himself was killed and hung up on the cross. Boy, that looks like a success. But the fact is that it was and is because today we stand here because of that success and the resurrection happened through that success. So don't get tripped up when success doesn't look like success by man's standards. If it looks like success by God's standards, you're cool. 
you're good. But he says to faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Supremacy of Christ causes faithful followers. And that faith was being spread throughout both, I mean, Colossae, Laodicea, Hierapolis, but it makes me sad as well when you look at the book of Revelation, all of those churches, including Laodicea, were there in that Asia Minor area, and today that influence is not there. Asia Minor is modern-day Turkey, y'all, and it's not there. You have believers that are there, and the faith is still there, but don't think because you are influential and on top today that it will always be that way. Hello, America. Sometimes, and I bet they did as well, they basked in the fact that we got it going on. And I'm going to tell the saints, don't bask in that. Bask in the fact that Christ has got it going on. And regardless of whether y'all are up or down, you are committed to him. Whether life gets easy or hard, because now as a believer in that area, it's tough. It's not easy. But the same calling on the believers back then is the same calling right now. And for you and I, we have to remember that. The environment may change. Christ doesn't. The, the, the embracing of you and me as a believer may change. Christ doesn't. Our influence has changed. Meaning on the outside and even political. But Christ hasn't. But our influence in Christ and under Christ can remain the same. The way it's expressed may just have to be different. But we are still committed to Christ regardless of the environment that that commitment has to be lived out in. Doesn't matter. And then lastly, supremacy of Christ brings grace and peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Let's put it this way. I'm going to read it. And I was trying to put this in my own words, and I liked it best the way it was written in one of my commentaries. And I like how it says it. Grace is God's unconditioned goodwill toward men and women, which is decisively expressed in the saving work of Christ. In other words, the grace of God, that unconditional, we like to say favor or goodwill, that God has toward us, that he actually has the audacity to look at you and I when we are undeserving of it, period. And not only does he look, he acts as he looks. That's his grace. But then his peace, peace is the state of life, peace with God, and thus peace with one another, enjoyed by those who have effectively experienced divine grace. I love that. So when he says grace and peace be yours from God, he is telling them it is yours. And may it continue to be because I want you to continually walk in and under the Father. So he says, may the unconditional love and goodwill and favor of God continue to be experienced in your life as you keep yourself under him, thus resulting in continually being at peace with God. And by that, 
at peace with one another. So when people are fighting as believers one another, rest assured that there is some peace that's broken between them and God too. Because there's no way you can be at peace with God and at war with your brother or sister. Can't. Oh, you may have a disagreement. You may differ in a place. And if it's on issues that are towards salvation and the faith, we, we need to talk about that. But that warring, when it says peace, it is, the, it is the absence of war, but it's also walking in step with. So when he says grace and peace, may the grace of God continue to keep you in and under him, resulting in peace with God and peace among all of you. Now, does that greeting sound so fleeting? In commonplace? No. Grace and peace. I'll let's say that to y'all. Grace and peace, baby. May that grace be yours and the resulting peace that comes with that grace. And where does it come from? You didn't bring it. Please remember that. You didn't bring it with you. It's not as a result of your hand. He gives us why. I mean, where it comes from? From God our Father. And I love that. He says, we family, because he says our. Understand this. Have some questions for you. Will you live out of the supremacy of Christ over all things? Will you? Will you live as a result of recognizing him as supreme? Will you live in the grace and peace of Jesus Christ as saints, holy ones, and faithful followers committed to his cause. Will you live in the grace and peace of Jesus Christ as saints and faithful brothers and sisters? Guess what? He's calling you and I to that daily, every day. And so as we close, I'll say grace and peace. As we continue in Colossians, grace and peace. As we continue in our daily life, grace and peace from God our Father. You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.